right, ladies and gentlemen, we're just moments away for the World Wrestling Federation Championship match. And with me now, the self-proclaimed million-dollar champion, <laughs> Ted DiBiase, a man who over the years has used his money to bankroll some of the cruelest and most outrageous stunts in World Wrestling Federation history. You offered a young boy $100 to bounce a basketball 15 times in a row, only to kick the ball away after the 14th bounce. And by not paying off Ted DiBiase, you broke that little boy's heart. You paid a swimming pool attendant several hundred dollars to kick all the kids out of the pool on a sweltering hot summer day, just so you could have that pool all to yourself. <laughs> Everybody's gonna pay Cause the million dollar man Always gets his way <laughs> Welcome Ministry of Sunshine to Geek Salad episode 72 Everybody's got a price for the million dollar man I'm Andy. I'm Mike. And we're flying solo tonight as we talk about uh, gimmick wrestlers. Yeah, we uh, just, uh, the timing just could not work out worse. For anybody. Yeah. Seriously. We got, I got back from vacation two weeks ago, actually a week and a half ago, let's say. Mm -hmm. Uh, We planned on recording last week and then no one was able to do it. Right. And at some point, even myself and Mike were not able to do it. Yep. Um, So tonight was the only night we can do it. And unfortunately, Everybody else Mike, could not do Mike it. C, Jim, Adam could not make it. So, uh, that leaves you and me. Yeah. And I'm the wrestling fan, and you're not so much. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm the A wrestling noob. You're, yeah, exactly. You're learning it, though. You're yeah. learning the ropes. Yes, Get I it? am. The ropes. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh. So, oh yeah. So we've got tons and tons of stuff to talk about. And when I say uh, gimmick wrestlers, you know what I mean. A blank that also wrestles. For example... For example... Um, the Undertaker. The Undertaker. An Undertaker or Dead Man or Biker. A Biker, yes. Who also a, wrestles. Yes, exactly. Or uh, Paul Bearer, who happens to be a zombified, um, ob- <laughs> o- obese mortician, who also kind of manages a wrestler. Oh, Undertaker. I've been sitting all alone in the darkness of my funeral parlor. Thinking about mass burials, all the mass burials down through history. I wish I could have been there, but there's one, there's one ahead that I will attend. Oh, yes, 29 bodies, 29 souls, and you, Undertaker, can present them to me one by one. And with each one, you'll get closer and closer to your championship. I thought he was a bowling ball. No, no. Bowling balls are far less spherical. (laughs) So anyway, let's move on to uh, Chris's Cultural Corner. KKK, that's not good. And Chris writes, Hello, Geek Salad crew. In the years I have watched pro wrestling, 1981 through the early 2000s, there have been some great and entertaining wrestlers. Hogan, Piper, Flair, Rhodes, Austin, Rock, etc. And then there were the gimmick wrestlers. Wrestlers that were good on their own, but some promoter, or maybe the wrestler himself or herself, thought that they could pull more money in if they came up with a good gimmick for that particular wrestler. 
I have a special list this week in no particular order. Here's a list of the wrestlers who use more than one gimmick in their careers, whether good or not. Um, so we're going to go with the, the, uh, gimmick, the wrestler's real name first, and then the plethora of characters that they played. We're did start- you see a plethora? Yes, I did. I know what a plethora means. All right, first up, uh, Fred Ottman, who did Tugboat, Typhoon, and the infamous Shockmaster. Okay. Uh, Chris writes that uh, Fred started in, started in the WWF in 1990 as Tugboat, where he would pull his arm down to go toot toot. Uh, just keep in mind he was he was he was above 300 pounds, and then became Typhoon in 1991 because he was no longer Hulk Hogan's friend, and teamed with Earthquake John Tenta as the Natural Disasters. Then in 1993, Fred went to WCW to debut as the Shockmaster. Um. Chris put a video on here. I'm going to have to post it to the website because the audio does no justice to what you would he- just just be able to see. I'll set it up for you, though. All right. Um, they, they had this big to-do where Sting needed a uh, special a special tag team partner. And okay. No one else would step up and help Sting, pour Sting out. Oh, of course So he not, enlisted yeah. the Shockmaster, who no one had ever heard of. And what happens is, he's going to introduce them, they point to this brick wall, and there's this gigantic explosion. And then, the Shockmaster not not only stumbles out, he falls on his face. (laughs) The helmet he was wearing, which essentially was was exactly like a a Star Wars Stormtrooper helmet in gold glitter, had fallen off. He had to scramble to get it back on. And while this is happening... Ole Anderson, who was doing the voice of, you know, the menacing voice of the Shockmaster, yeah. hadn't paid attention that any of this stuff had been going on at the same time. Oh, uh, so we got words no longer matching what was happening. Well, you couldn't see his face because he had the helmet on. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, boom, trip, helmet. Oh, you you want a piece of me? I'm the Shockmaster. <laughs> oh, it was pretty awful. Uh, next up on Chris's list, Ray Trailer, who uh, played Big Bubba Rogers. The Big Boss Man, The Boss, The War Machine, and The Guardian Angel. Okay, now this one I know. I, well, I, I know The Big Boss Man. Yep. I didn't like The Big Boss Man, but I know The Big Boss Man. Big Boss Man was a serviceable big man in an era of big men. It was a copper. Yeah. A, a corrupt cop. All right, well, let me read what Chris says before we, we get in on All that. Right. Uh, the late Ray Trailer had quite a few gimmicks in his career, but the two most well-known are probably Big Bubba and The Big Boss Man. So, um, I think that, I mean, you've probably never seen Big Bubba Rogers. No. Essentially what he was, he was just this big imposing bodyguard for Jim Coronet, who was uh, this wealthy mama's boy, back at, you know, in the the mid-80s Southern wrestling. Ah, okay, gotcha. So, when he got called up to WWF, they made him, his his original career was, he was a prison guard. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's what they did. They uh, they made him a Cobb County, Georgia sheriff, pretty much. Right, yeah. And he'd always use the nightstick. And he was actually pretty proficient in, like, whipping that thing around. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that gimmick actually went through a few incarnations. The last time he was with the WWF, before he died, unfortunately, wow. um, he would come in, but he had, like, a, like a Kevlar vest on. <laughs> and you can't tell me nobody thought that that might be an illegal wrestling accoutrement. Well, yeah, but then again, I mean, Hulk Hogan did wear a helmet with a giant fist on it, so... <laughs> and it was perfectly legal! Because it was Hogan. Yep. 
Next up on Chris's list, Mick Foley, who was Cactus Jack, Mankind, and Dude Love. We all know Mick Foley's story by now. Saw Jimmy Snuka jump off the top of a cage onto Don Morocco at the Ma- at Madison Square Garden. And he jumped off the roof in his friend's garage. Uh, the video was discovered by Wrestling Insiders, and the rest is wrestling history. But did you know upon entering the WWF, Vince McMahon had a different gimmick idea for Mick that could have ruined his career? Um... I don't even remember what that was. Uh, there, there's a video attached here, so I'll, I'll post that okay. as well. Um, Over here. You know, I'm going to go with a slight variation. I'm going to go with the worst character that almost was. And I'm taking that from, from personal experience. I, somebody let me knew, know that my name was supposed to be the Mutilator before I came in as Mankind. I'd already seen the sketches. I knew I wasn't going to be Cactus Jack anymore, and I knew they were going to add a name, and the name I heard was Mason, and I thought, my God, if I get hit with Mason the Mutilator, I'm, I'm dead. And so I was just trying to think, you know, you can't just say, no, I don't like you. You've got to come up with something different. And, and so when I talked to Vince, and he said, have you heard your name, pal? And he <laughs> gave me, you know, we've had destroyers. We've had uh, assassins. We've never had a Mutilator. And that's what you are. And he was just about to give me that first name, and I said, I like it, but could I add a little something different to it? And that's when I suggested Mankind. Now, that, I'm not suggesting Man- me as the worst gimmick that almost was. There's another different guy coming along at the same era. He was a very t- talented wrestler, hadn't quite gotten the break that he deserved. He'd been in WWE for a little while, but things weren't quite clicking. It was clear he needed just a little tweaking. And he wanted to dwell on his character, maybe being cold-hearted you know maybe not having much of a sense of sense of compassion and the creative department kind of took that word cold and went a little different direction they went like the Fahrenheit direction with it and this talented wrestler got a list of names that included Baron Von Ruthless, Chili McFreeze, Ice Dagger to the point where Duke the Dumpster Drossy was a real uh, you know funny guy great with uh, uh, doing impersonations he was doing Howard Finkel announcing this would-be wrestler, and you're saying, coming down the aisle at a chilly 27 degrees Celsius with his faithful dog, Nantuck is Ice Dagger. And at that point, it wouldn't matter how good you were, how talented, what your potential was, you come down the ring as Ice Dagger, you're dead. And that same wrestler, at, the, at a certain time, had his wife suggest he drink his tea before it got stone cold. And he came in as Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I think you give him the same music, the same mannerisms, the same Stone Cold Center, Center which I believe was a Michael Hayes innovation. Uh, but you give him that name, Ice Dagger, I believe he's... I love Mick Foley. Yes, yeah. Mick Foley is a talented wrestler who does... You know, he, it, it, there's almost no shame in the fact that he does have to resort sometimes to garbagey stunt wrestling. Right. Um, What's kind of funny is though when I first saw when I first saw you know Mick, uh, Mankind yeah you know he's got these like, you know you know lunatic face on and it looks like he's gonna be like this complete like wacko whack job and yeah, he was but then and you hear him talk I'm like that voice does not match that face no exactly he's a very easy wrestler to impersonate but uh, he you know the funny the best part about Mick Foley is is that he's not a he's he's one of the few guys that actually opens up about his private life and everything. He's got an unbelievably gorgeous wife. Mm. And three really cool kids. Um, so here's some uh, required viewing if you haven't watched it. But um, Beyond the Mat. Okay. It was a documentary that came out in 1999, right during the Attitude Boom. And they they focus heavily on Mick Foley. 
Okay. In fact, um, there was a match at it was the Royal Rumble in 1999 where um, Mick Foley took like 32 chair shots to the head Ooh. while he was fighting The Rock and his family. His wife and his two very young kids, at the time I think his daughter was like four years old, Ooh. were in the audience watching him just get hammered. Oh, wow. It's a, it's excellent. It is available on Netflix streaming, All right, uh, but you can borrow my DVD if you'd like. Okay. It's a very good documentary. It's also sad seeing how awful Jake Roberts is. And uh, Next up on Chris's list, Mike Shaw, who played Makan Singh. Norman the Lunatic, Friar Ferguson, and Bastion Booger. Mike Shaw saw many gimmicks come his way in his career. Unfortunately, most of them were not good. Norman was probably the best gimmick he had. Also, Makan Singh was a pretty successful gimmick for him in Stu Hart's old Stampede territory. Um, the one I will always remember is Bastion Booger. If you, if you, we have the uh, the WWE yeah. encyclopedia here. I, think I remember. So yeah, him pull him up. Essentially, he his entire gimmick is he's a big fat slob. In like silver, uh, like cross suspenders to make his the, his back fat look like a hunch, like a hump. Nice. And he would pick his nose, and his entrance music was nothing but like burps and farts. And oh, it was yeah, you just passed him. He's right down there. Yeah. Ooh. Oh my, huh? Not a very good picture of him. Nope, exactly. Yep. And uh, Mike Shaw has also shuffled off this mortal coil, so. Yeah. A lot of dead wrestlers. Um, from Parts Unknown. Of course. They're all from Parts Unknown. Yeah. And then, um, finally, is uh, on Chris's list of guys with tons of gimmicks, Kevin Nash. He was Oz. Vinny Vegas, Big Daddy Cool, Diesel, and uh, he was the NWO Nash as well. I, I'm coming to realize now, after all these years, that apparently he wasn't just Diesel. He was Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Okay. All right. Uh, that's were those really a gimmicks though, or more of a character? There, I, I wouldn't consider Kevin Nash to be a gimmick wrestler. No, I mean, maybe Diesel, Oz. Diesel was definitely right. a character. I mean, Oz was definitely a, a gimmick because he was he. They gave him like white wizardly hair oh. because he was wrestling for WCW at the time, which was owned by Tur- uh, Ted Turner, okay. who had just bought the rights to the Wizard of Oz, oh. and they needed something to do to promote it. Of so course. what do you do? Take a seven foot, nearly immobile guy who's who's got a couple of decent moves, <laughs> and throw him in, in in emerald green spandex and a white wig. Oh, that's just not a very good image in my mind. And Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And Chris has uh, the Hall of Shame for the worst gimmicks ever. The Ding Dongs. The Ding Dongs were a tag team. I they, I can imagine. Okay. They were. I will. Essentially, they were these two guys in full head-to-toe bodysuits that had bells covering them. So every time they'd move, there was this annoying ring that happened. And they had a third guy come out uh, who also had a gigantic bell that he would ring. So the, the crowd turned on them within three seconds. I can imagine. This gimmick originally was going to be, someone thought it would be a great idea to have a tag team of wrestling hunchbacks. Because you couldn't pin their shoulders to the mat because they've got that deformed hump. Right, Get it? Then Ole Anderson said that was a crock of shit. All you need to do is turn them around and put them in an ankle lock and then they'll tap out. (laughs) But he did... He their legs. He did see some... uh, He did see some magic in the... uh, in, in, In that entire presentation by saying, you know, the bell. Kids love bells. No, they don't. Kids love bells and I hate Ric Flair. 
I'm Ole Anderson, the ugliest man in wrestling. Kids hate bills because it reminds them that it's time for school. School, yep. Uh, then there is Saba Simba, who uh, was this... He was essentially, he was an African tribesman, and he came out in this full get-up. The first time he came out to the ring, Roddy Piper was doing commentary with Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon's like, it's Saba Simba! There he is! He's proud of his African heritage. Roddy Piper looks at him and on television goes... Wait a sec. That's Tony Atlas. <laughs> <laughs> and Vince had a backpedal. Yes, it's Tony Atlas who's very much in love with his African heritage. Oh, yeah, with a strong African name like Atlas. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. He's the tough one. He's a tough competitor. It's going to take more than that to keep him down. And now, wait a What have we got here? 67 pounds. Take a look at this, would you, Saba Simba, making his initial appearance right here on the Superstars of Wrestling. Oh, hold the fuck, hold the fuck, that's Tony Atlas, that ain't no Saba Simba, that's Tony Atlas, what's walking around, look like some bird's real cold, the way he's walking around, all them feathers, who's he trying to fool? Proud of his heritage, indeed, Proud we have not his... seen this man for years, and legally changing his name to Saba Simba. Well, that's ridiculous. Can you imagine why Tony Atlas is a great competitor? Now, well, excuse me, Saba Simba. Why walk around looking like that? You look like a fool. Then up, um, Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese man of war. Um, essentially, Aldo Montoya was uh, just incredible, who I think may be one of the most overrated ECW wrestlers of all time. Okay. He was a tiny little guy with not much of a moveset. Aldo Montoya essentially was supposed to be like a Portuguese superhero with a jockstrap on his face. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a real jockstrap, but it looked like a jockstrap. Next up, the Renegade. When WCW couldn't get the Ultimate Warrior to sign on to a contract, they were like, hey, I have an idea. That jacked up guy with the long hair is completely immobile and can't speak. (laughs) He's completely inarticulate. No one will know the difference. (laughs) All right. Next up on Chris's list is the gobbledygooker, who I have... I'm sorry. The gobbledygooker never wrestled the match, and we don't count the, the battle gimmick... The uh, gimmick battle royal at yeah. WrestleMania 17 for it. He showed up, he popped out of the egg, my friend Emmett said a racist comment, and then he went into the ring and danced chicken in the straw... Or turkey in the straw with Gene Okerlund. The end. Never seen again until WrestleMania 17. He is in the book. I understand he's in the book. He's the most infa- is the most infamous of bad ideas... That's not even a very good costume. No, it's not. But he was... My cousin David brought this up. He was played by a Guerrero. Unfortunately, it was Shemp Guerrero, so... Shemp, really? No. Oh. I'm sorry, I should have used Curly Joe Guerrero. How's that? That That would actually make more sense. Shemp actually was kind of funny. Yeah, he had his moments. Next up, the Black Scorpion. Black Scorpion was a weird gimmick where they had a guy... they, They had this whole plan that there was going to be this mystical wrestler that was tormenting Sting. Again, with the tormenting of Sting in the early 90s. Eh, well, Sting was a popular target. He, he was then. a very popular target. In fact, Robocop came to help him one time. Ugh. It was awful. Yeah. Trust me, it was awful. Um, so, the thing was, is that they had this guy in a black mask and a black bodysuit come out and torture Sting with magic tricks, like turning audience members into Bengal tigers and you know, getting the rings to snap back in place after he had separated them. Exactly how desperate did ECW get? This was WCW, and oh, very. Okay. 
The thing was is that they never actually had anybody. They had no idea how they wanted this gimmick to end. So in the end, Ric Flair was like, all right, fuck it. I'll put the mask on. You're going to give me a fucking title run this time, right? <laughs> yeah, sure, Rick. And that is the end of Chris's list. Thanks and great topic. Until next time, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. That that gave us a lot of good stuff to go on. Yeah. Oh, man. Just, just so horrible. There's just so much horridness that we have to talk about. Yeah. We're only 15 minutes in, too, so there's plenty to talk about. We, we haven't even gotten to Doink the Clown yet. Oh, we will, my friend. Okay. Oh, we will. So anyway, let's get on some of our Facebook feedback. I put the call out. Not mm-hmm. as many people as I would like. Yeah. But, you know, Pete is always good for this. My old co-worker, Pete, brought up that um, he wasn't up on all of them, but of course we have to be talking about the Honky Tonk Man. Not at all. Burn me up a pair of shoes with... <laughs> Come on, Honky, big deal, Vanna White. Right, baby? Looking for Vanna White. I don't think you're looking for Vanna White at all. I think you're looking for something else down here. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you guys are talking about. I'll tell you what you guys are looking for and what you're going to find very shortly. Brutus the Barber Man, the guy who takes care of me. Do I look good or not? And you better look out, buddy boy. You're going to be losing some locks a little while. In about, oh, I would say another 20 Wait minutes a minute. or so. Yeah. You want to try to be funny? Yeah. Why don't we talk about somebody's lifetime bat average baby. or something? Trying to make jokes out here. This is serious business to us. We're talking about the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. We're talking about cutting somebody's hair. You're going to get it, Brutus. Shake, rattle, and roll. I don't care if I have to backstroke up the Mississippi. Woo! You guys ain't never coming to my house. The Honky Tonk Man is a great gimmick. Because his entire shtick is he's an Elvis personator who has deluded himself into not knowing who Elvis is and thinks that he is, in fact, the king of rock and roll. All right, yeah. But, I mean, you know, he... I, I will give him this much. He did look the part. He did, Oh, he was... Wayne Ferris, who, who played the Honky Tonk Man, played that part to the hill. Yeah. Couldn't play the guitar a lick. No. But, oh my God, what a... He ran with that for years, and when they bring him back, they bring him back as the Honky Tonk Man. He is still, to this day, the longest-reigning intercontinental champion. Nice. Uh, I think he 18 or 19 months. Wow. Yep, so that's that's pretty decent, considering yeah. that he got the he got the belt off of Ricky Steamboat, because Ricky Steamboat had the audacity to ask Vince for family time while his son was being born. Oh, how dare yeah, he? Yeah, I know. Vince cares nothing for family. No, he, he does not. Why... Poor Rick, Ricky Steamboat, who ended up getting saddled with a terrible gimmick himself when he came back to WWF at, in like the mid '90s. Mm. They actually made him think he was a real dragon, and he would come out and he had like these, this, like these, these, these giant dragon wings on his back, and he would breathe fire. Wow. Vince McMahon hates Ricky Steamboat. I can tell. All right, uh, Alyssa brought up one. She's also not that big of a wrestling fan, but she does remember IRS, Erwin R. Scheister, who was an evil tax man who also happened to wrestle. Give you a break, you slime. IRS never gives anyone a break, especially a tax cheat like you. But please, I, I lost the receipt. You know, with, with my wife in the hospital and the medical insurance only going so far... I'm really under a lot of stress. Hey, you're making me cry, but it's not going to work. Because you're going to pay your fair share of tax just like everyone else. 
Now get out of my office. I've got a lot of work to do. But, please. No buts. Go on, get out of here. Again, a terrible gimmick that actually got a lot of life. Wow. It... IRS was played by Mike Rotundo. Okay. Mike Rotundo, for his, for his day, was one of the finest technical wrestlers ever. Alright. He was so good. He was a collegiate wrestler, so he had the Greco-Roman background and right. everything. He had legitimate re- wrestling right. skills. And, you know, he'd just been kicking around WWF and WCW and NWA forever. And what happened was, interesting because there's another terrible gimmick tied into Mike Rotundo, where he went to WCW after his first stint with WWF. Actually, I think it might have been NWA mm-hmm. around that time. I think they were still NWA. Okay. And they, they came back kind of as a mentor wrestler, and he was Captain Mike Rotundo. Uh-huh. And he came out and he had the collegiate uh, letterman's jacket on, and he was sending guys to the ring and all that. Then one week, someone was like, hey, you know what would be really funny? If he was like a boat captain. So without any without any warning to anybody, Mike Rotundo comes out and he essentially looks like captain of the Captain and Tennille. Oh. And that was his whole thing. He was given a seafaring uh, gimmick. Oh. So he's like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm going back to New York. Went to WWF. It's like, I got a great idea. You're going to be an IRS agent. And your name is going to be IRS. But you'll hold the tag titles. Oh. oh, okay. So, you know, it all worked out in the end. It was a such a stupid gimmick, though. But at least they gave him the, the right name for his finisher. The write-off. Okay, that makes <laughs> sense, yeah. Alright, now Sean brought up some stuff, too. And he doesn't know if this counts as a gimmick. I'm gonna go with yes. The right to censor. RTC. Um, he thought it was one of the greatest WWE ideas of all time. Uh, RTC was a group of stuffy puritanical fanatics who wanted to take the smut off of WWE television. Um, I actually had to respond to this because I thought it was great. The irony of the RTC is that they wanted to announce the evils of wrestling by wrestling. Kind of reminds me of that uh, Simpsons episode about Sideshow Bob. Yes, I realize uh, the irony of... (laughs) Of using television to denounce it. Now, the, the beauty of the, of the RTC also is that they have actually had a couple of fine gimmick wrestlers in there. Ooh. Yes. Um, it's a wheel with a wheel. Yes. Well, there was the good father, who was originally the godfather, who was a pimp who, who wrestled. Not a very good wrestler. Oh, my God. I mean, his finishing move was the hoe train. Essentially, what he would do is he'd, he'd throw the Irish whip, he'd Irish whip you into the corner, and then he'd go to the other end of the ring and do his little, like, choo-choo dance. Like, he'd pump his arms, like, choo-choo, choo-choo. <laughs> and then he'd, you know, just do a running body slam into you, and, or uh, just body, yeah, body slam, and yeah. then that was the end of the match. And he was awful. And we mentioned this on our last WrestleMania show, that his entire shtick essentially was, go to a local strip club, ask four or five of the skanks if you want to be on TV. Find the ones with the biggest booty and just call them in. Well, there was a, there was one... Woman, I, I I've been trying to find like a YouTube clip of they must have they must have dug high and low and low and low for this woman. She had the largest, ugliest breast implants I have ever seen in my life. Essentially, she was as wide as she was tall Ooh. because of these things. So when Godfather won a match, you know, the hoes would all come in the ring and he'd do his little dance because he was immobile and they would all start, you know, gyrating and, you know, humping the, yeah. 
the, the four corners of the ring, all she could do was kind of bounce on her tiptoes. <laughs> and then it was like, you know that, that sound when you get like a, like a sheet of thin aluminum? Yeah. And you, you're like, <laughs> that's what I thought it would sound like. <laughs> and then another member was Val Venus, mm. the wrestling porn star, who, for having such a shitty gimmick, was actually a very, very talented wrestler. Hello, ladies. My name is Val Venus. <laughs> I've just been previewing my latest flick entitled Live Hard. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Willis is good, but Val Venus is great. You see, I'm the real deal, all natural, and ladies, <laughs> believe me, the gift that I have, no other male on the face of this planet has ever, ever been blessed with. <laughs> And when I penetrate the World Wrestling Federation, all the ladies all across the country will be squealing in delight. Yeah. Oh uh, my I, God, was he good? For me, his his gimmick kind of overshadowed him a bit. It did to a point. I mean, I mean. His finishing move was the money shot. Yeah. You know, everything was, you know, about... Look at my crotch! Oh, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, every, like, third double entendre was about him coming to something, yes. so... Uh, yeah, it, but he I was, came from behind! He was really, really good. In fact, he had a feud with Mick Foley in late 1999, one of the best matches of the year. Because they just, like, okay, Sean, his real name is Sean Morley... Like, Sean, you get out there, let Mick leave the match, but you guys can take this to, you, know, you guys are going to rock the house. And they did. Nice. It was so good. So, uh, do I have anybody, actually, uh, that is about it. I already mentioned David's uh, stand about the gobbledygooker. Yes. Sorry, not a wrestler. Eh. Well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, whatever. So anyway, um, I do have a number of of picks here as well. Actually, Mike C., who couldn't make it tonight, actually had something he wanted me to talk about. All right, cool. All right. Um, he has the Patriots, who hailed from the WCW Special Forces. Instead of from Newark, New Jersey, they are from the WCW Special Forces. And they were Firebreaker Chip and Todd Champion. Not Fireman Chip. Firebreaker Chip. They both kind of wore these stupid-looking hard hats, and they had suspenders on when they wrestled. Okay. So if they weren't a part of an all-male review at Chippendales, then they, they would have had to have wrestled. It, it seems to me that if the WCW has a special forces, then the United States is in serious, serious, serious trouble. trouble. Yes. Yeah. Next up on Mike's list, Techno Team 2000. They were from the future, you see. From the year 2000. They may have well have just been called Team Laser Tag. <laughs> 
Glacier, who was kind of like the poor man Sub-Zero. He came out looking like Z- Sub-Zero from Mortal Kombat. Did he have the mask on? Too? Yes, he did. Wow. And he sucked. Okay. And finally on Mike's list, Akeem, the African Dream. Yeah. Or as I like to call him, the fat wrestling Easter egg. <laughs> because that's what he looked like. He had this blue... Um, just blue bodysuit that hugged every curve and left nothing to the imagination of how fat this man really, really was. He was originally the one-man gang who was really kind of a cool, cool gimmick. He was just like, you know, this Detroit biker. And he was big and he was fat, but he was really scary looking. He was, he just had loaded with tattoos. He had a mohawk, but he had a tattoo on both sides of his head. Okay. And... One day, uh, the Doctor of Style, Slick, who could very well be one of the most racist of all wrestling uh, managers ever. I mean, the fact that he's called Slick doesn't clue you off there? Oh, yeah. Well, the first time they, they, they had this video of his called Jive Soul Bro, and it opens, fade in, to a close-up of him eating fried chicken. Of course it does. Yes, yep, yep. Nothing but, racist about that. Anyway, the Doctor of Style, Slick, wanted to uh, take... Uh, the one-man gang back to his roots. So we put him in this box, which essentially could have just been the uh, the Aztec tomb, and um, showed everyone the illusion that he walked in as the one-man gang and came out as Akeem, the American dream, uh, the African dream. The illusion. Oh, God. Well, it's not a trick, because tricks are what whores do for cocaine. Or money. All right, now let, let's go on to uh, my list here, okay. which is plentiful. Now, um, you're going to give us some feedback as well. Yes. All right. Yep. First off, the model, Rick Martell. I, I think I know him. Yes. Yeah. Um, Rick Martell, in and of himself, is a great wrestler, but he hit a wall at some point, and they're like, you need a gimmick. You got to do something. This happened to uh, Tito Santana as well, where he just kind of hit a gimmick. They're like, okay, well, you're a Hispanic of some semblance, uh, go fight a bull. And then he became El Matador. Do they have to have, like, this origin to their gimmick? Or... Which is sad, yes, they yeah. do. They show these vignettes of them doing stuff, and it's it's all pretty horrible. And they're reborn as this great gimmick wrestler. Yeah, well, that was a thing. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, once you took on the gimmick, they refused to call you by your real name. Uh. Kind of like Kerry Von Erich, who, who didn't really have a gimmick, but they gave him the name the Texas Tornado. Mm. I know, I they know, I know. Kerry Von Eric called him the Texas Tornado and never called him Kerry Von Eric again. That's too bad. It was awful. But the model Rick Martel, it was an interesting gimmick because he wasn't that good looking to begin with. And the only reason why they gave him the model gimmick is because he could use his uh, per, his his cologne um, arrogance, oh, yeah, which was right, in a giant yes. DDT dispenser. The best part about his delivery though was the fact that he was from Montreal and had. At best, a tenuous grasp of the English language, <laughs> where whenever he was stumbling for a word, some people would just stop. Some people might stutter a little bit. His was, yes. So anyway, Tito Santana, ha-ha, yes. I'm going to take you down, ha-ha, yes. Here's something that really opens up my baby's carburetor. Come on, baby. Arrogance. Yes, the man's cologne that primes pistons. Yes, that makes spark plugs grow hotter and that improves your engine's performance. <laughs> I love it. 
And now, put the brakes on the mundane and accelerate into the fast lane with arrogance. I didn't even notice that until we were editing um, episode 12, because we had talked about him, and I right. found that clip, with awful sounding clip, of him as um, the model uh, talking about arrogance. And I was listening to it like, ha ha, yes! <laughs> oh, it's, it, you know what, I almost wanted to bring him up just for that reason. Oh, we do not, we, we do not speak like that in Quebec. No, not at all, <laughs> yes. Alright, <laughs> Duke the Dumpster Droz. He was a trash man who also happened to wrestle. And guess what happened when you lost the match to Duke the Dumpster Droz? He throws you in the dumpster? No, he dumps the trash on you. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Not exactly Jake uh, putting Damien on you, but... I I would have preferred the uh, throwing into a dumpster. That would have been kind of cool, but, you know, they they weren't going to afford to have a backhoe bring that dumpster out to the ring every single time. It's just Duke Droz, for God's sakes. (laughs) All right, next up, the goon. Uh, the Goon is actually um, played by journeyman wrestler Cowboy Bill Irwin, who is a very good, just one of those AWA guys that just never got a title, but was really, really talented. Yeah. Comes in WWF, and they're like, okay, what do we got for you? Um, do you like hockey? Well, uh, okay, you're a hockey player. <laughs> and what they did was, his his wrestling outfit was, you know, the, the hockey tights with a big, big shirt on, and they got him these boots that had lifts in them that actually kind of came to a tip so they would look like skates. Oh, I gotcha. How he didn't snap an ankle every match, I have no clue. Yeah, trying to move around in the mat, you know, doing all the jumps, all that, in those? Yep. Wow, you know, that, that says a lot for him, his balance. Oh, God. God. He, fortunately, he didn't last very long. Okay, dude. All right, next up, uh, from WCW. We've spared a lot of time talking about WWF. Let's talk about a WCW guy real right. quick. This is the Misfits in Action, or MIA, who consisted of G.I. Bro, who was Booker T, Major Guns, because she had enormous boobs, Private Stash, who used to be um, wrestling rock and roller Van Hammer, um... And General Hugh G. Rection. Alright, I gotta talk about this a little bit because it's just the reason, one of the reasons why WCW failed so horribly and so spectacularly in that last year and a half. Because they find the worst names possible? Well, what they did was they had hired Vince Russo from WWF who was, who had taken credit for all of their success during the Attitude Era. Right. And he's like, I will make these people stars. But what he did was, all he had was this bag of horrible ideas. So what he did was, he took a bunch of guys that were floundering around, including poor Booker T, and like, okay, you're an army outfit right now. And then he used the clever little thing. G.I. Bro was the worst. What was even worse, though, was the little song we had to, you know, sing about him. G.I. Bro, a real American Negro. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Dante Hicks is just like you. He loves grape soda. He would eventually win the WCW title many times. Um, Well, they had to give him something because of that name. Well, Private Stash, here's an interesting story about Private Stash, okay? Um, Again, played by uh, Van Hammer, who was not a good wrestler and he couldn't play guitar, Mm -hmm. yet they saddled him with this this rocker gimmick. (laughs) 
Right. Um, he had actually bitched to management that he didn't like being such a lowly rank as private. So they promoted him to major. Because only in wrestling do fake ranks mean anything. And then poor Bill DeMott, otherwise known as Hugh Morris. Or a huge erection. Well, yes, that was the thing. Vince Russo decided, I want to get a dick joke in there somehow. So what happened was, they had Hugh Morris come out to the middle of the ring and say, I'm tired of hiding. Damn it, I am tired of pretending out to be someone I'm not. My name isn't, my last name isn't Morris. My name is Rection. My middle name is G. So from now on, you can start calling me Hugh G. Rection. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, the big boob joke wasn't, wasn't oh, bad enough. Oh, my major guns. They were enormous. They were spectacular. Next up, one of my favorites. Okay. The Hurricane. Who in the green hell are you? Don't answer that. The Rock knows who you are. Oh, yeah, The Rock knows exactly who you are. Is it green shirt, H on your chest, green mask? Oh, you're the Hamburglar. Yeah, you're that cat that works for McDonald's. Go get me a cheeseburger. Go get The Rock a cheeseburger. No ketchup. As a matter of fact, no, no, don't go nowhere. The Rock knows exactly who you are. Yeah, yeah, you're the resident superhero, the Hurricane. The Rock knows who you are, my man. Yeah, don't you ever bust in the Rock store like that again. Yeah. Hey, but what's more importantly than that, The Rock reminds you of something. You ain't nothing. You understand that? Every superhero can whip that ass. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Superman, Batman, Aquaman. Oh, yeah, Aquaman, the dude that talks to the fish, he'll whip that little candy ass just like that. Well, I know one superhero who I could definitely beat. <laughs> this is a joke. Who? The Scorpion King. Oh, no, you... You're, no, no, no. There is no way you can beat the Scorpion King. You Brendan Fraser beat the Scorpion King. He did not. That was a special effect for the movie, for Christ. The Scorpion King is the most powerful. One question, Rock. Just one more. Can the Rock fly? All right. The Hurricane actually is... This is how nerds get great origin stories. During When the, the WCW buyout happened, they got one of their cruiserweights, Shane Helms, mm-hmm. who had to change his name to Gregory Helms because there was already a Shane in the company, Shane McMahon, and, you know, God forbid, people might get confused by the guy who wrestles all the time and the guy who only wrestles on special occasions. Yeah, you know, I, I always get confused between, you know, Vince McMahon's son and everybody else that's wrestling. Well, exactly. Well, you know, it's... All the Chris's, you know, I always confuse Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho all the time. I oh, figured yeah, sure. one of them would have had to change their name to Dar- Darnell. Oh yeah. Um, so what happened was though they had this back this backroom segment where they were making fun of Shane Helms because he had a Green Lantern tattoo on his shoulder. It's like, but I like comic books. Well, you know, you're a nerd, you don't belong. So what happened was it kind of drove him to the point of insanity where he came out as the Hurricane. And what essentially I think was supposed to be a gimmick just to shut him up and, you know, all right, give it a month and we'll fire him. It went over like crazy. He, you know, masks for the kids and awesome looking t-shirts. He had a great theme song because it was, it sounded like, you know, like a John Williams Superman theme. Nice. You know, he'd come out and he'd pretend to fly and he had, but he could move in the ring, which was really helpful. And um, they never let him use his, his real finisher, the Vertebraker, which is the coolest band move ever. 
Oh, it's so awesome. But after a little while, he got a little stale, so they gave him a sidekick. Oh, no. Rosie! Oh. Of Jamal and Rosie fame, um, three-minute warning, and they let let him be a superhero as well. Of course they did. And uh, that didn't go over very well, and then eventually they they get rid of the gimmick, then they get rid of him. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, now he's still kicking around the independent circuit. Oh, that's good for him. So, uh, next up, another WCW um, brain trust, the Yeti. The Yeti? The Yeti. That's how they're pronouncing it. The Yeti. Now, the Yeti, what do you think? Of, well, if, it, it's spelled Yeti. So, what do you think when you hear the name Yeti? The Abominable Snowman. Exactly. So, imagine our surprise when they announce the Yeti and he comes out and he's a mummy. Let that sink in, will you? I'm trying to let it sink in. It's just not going anywhere. <laughs> it's just kind of floating there on the surface, and it's just kind of flowing away. Yep, exactly. I don't get it. All right, next up from WCW, the Maestro. The Maestro actually had a pretty intricate entrance for a guy who was essentially an overglorified jobber. They had this, um, like the stage would do it like a turntable thing. Uh-huh. So when they were going to announce him, it would turn and it would reveal him sitting on a grand piano playing. And he's a very good musician. Okay. And he comes out and he's, he's wearing his tucks and tails and he just takes that off and goes to wrestle and lose. Okay. Um, there was also the Gambler. The Gambler was one of these just... You know, did, jobber for life type did guys. Did he have a big white beard on? He looked no. like, like Kenny Rogers. Oh, he only wishes. He, I think he could barely <laughs> handle the five o'clock stubble. Oh. He was older, balding. He he was like one of those those like those Thursday night thunder type of guys. Right. They just you know, or like the Saturday night house show type of guy where they he comes out to the ring. He's got his he, he's got his cards. Cause he shows you the card. He shows you the ace when he goes out to the ring. He's wearing his leather vest and his. Little man panties and his boots and all that. And when he won, which never really happened, the idea was that when he won, he'd throw the ace down on you. Okay. Because he was a winner. It seems to me that, you know, if anyone wore the, you know, that kind of outfit in the Wild West, he'd probably be shot on sight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, and we talked about him a little bit, but I, I do think we have to take a, minute, a few minutes to talk about The Undertaker. Yes. All right. I have said many times, I am not an Undertaker fan. I don't think he... I think at the point in his career, it's kind of a little selfish that he never loses to anybody. And when he does lose to people, it's by guys that don't need the push. Yeah. So he really, in my opinion, has never really ever done what's right for business. You always know what you're going to get with an Undertaker match. Right. But with that said, I think for a guy in his mid-40s, I still think he moves okay. And I think, you know, especially when he started off, he, I mean, he definitely brought his A game to a few of the matches I've seen. He broke the mold for a big man. Yeah. And that's the big thing with him. Now, here's the thing also. If we're just talking gimmicks, he has rocked this gimmick for 22 years now. Yeah. And there's no sign of it slowing down, barring him retiring. Sometimes more than others. I mean, sometimes he's just the dead man. Sometimes he's got his that. <laughs> he, he's Walker of, Undead Ranger. <laughs> he's got the Ministry of Darkness behind him. Mm. He's trying to zombify everybody. Right. Exactly. You know, he he's Satan's. You know, he's spa- Satan's henchman. Right. He's, like there was one. It was actually during the Attitude Era, during the Ministry of Darkness, where they play his theme, 
and then they do the incantation from um from Excalibur. And now not Thrak. It's like really? Yeah. Really? Do you, are you that stupid that we don't you think that we don't know where that came from? My god. But you know, better you know, for better or worse, I think that he's definitely the perfect person for that gimmick. And I did really enjoy that uh, uh the Diesel versus Undertaker match. Oh yeah. Two, two big guys. I thought it was actually they moved a lot better than I thought they would. Yeah. Um all right. Next up, oh boy, Beaver Cleavage. Yeah, when I when I you sent me that text message, and I was just like, that's got to be a porn title somewhere. Okay, well here's the thing. Um, there used to be this great tag team called the he- the uh, Headbangers. Okay. And by great, I mean they were okay. They didn't suck. Um, neither of them shit themselves in the ring. <laughs> that's not a very good um very good definition of the word great. Right. Okay. Well, when Headbanger Thrasher. Went out with an injury. They had. They didn't want to just make Mosh a singles guy, so they were like, "Okay, get rid of the makeup, get rid of the kilt, get rid of the ripped shirt. We've got a gimmick for you, a real winner." Vince Russo's here to tell you about it. <laughs> Here's the idea: What we're gonna do is we're gonna shoot a whole bunch of black and white vignettes with you dressed like a fucking retard on steroids, <laughs> and what's gonna happen is. Your mother's going to come in, and the tits are going to be hanging out, and you're going to make a whole bunch of boner jokes. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. This cereal sucks! I can't eat this, it's dry! Mom! Is this what Mother's Little Boy is looking for? Does Mother's Little Harry Beaver want some of Mother's Milk? It lasted all of a month. <laughs> it was just... They put a beanie on him and a tight shirt. He's a big dude! Yeah. But, I mean, it's... Oh, my God... But they, they they paired him up with this real life girlfriend whose tits almost literally were hanging out nice. and just making a whole bunch of double entendres and stuff. And what happened was the first time I had seen him was right around the time I was getting back into wrestling. Yes. Um, Ooh, I just found his entry in the book. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the first time I had ever actually seen him, I'd only heard about the horribleness of the vignettes. He comes out to the ring and he's like. This gimmick really sucks. And he walked off. The next week, he was just Chaz, the fun-loving guy who loves to have fun. Yeah, let me, let me, let me read this. Yeah. In June 1999, he defeated Christian in his first in-ring appearance. A few weeks later, he disappeared from the WWE television. Yep, that's pretty much how it went. <laughs> it was awful. You get a win! Bye-bye. Yep, exactly. Well, he reminds me of another gimmick guy, Meat. Meat's whole shtick was that he was kind of the manslave of... Uh, PMS, the Pretty Mean Sisters. Oh, okay. And the, the, his whole gimmick was that he they, they were too busy in the back banging him. So when he come out for his match, he was exhausted. <laughs> now, again, I'm pretty sure this is Vince Russo's hand in the pie. Um, he decided that all of Meat's trunks were going to look like underwear, like designer underwear, like Calvin Klein underwear. 
But they all had they all had to be made to look like he had an enormous boner. I would have liked, you know, whoever whoever saw Vince Russo, you know, after he wrote that, it's like, all right, who let him watch Porky's? All right. Take that DVD player away from him. He can't watch that anymore. Vince is off his meds again. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> what the hell? All right, who do we got next? We have got Big Bully Busick. Big Bully Busick is an awesome character solely for the fact that he sucked so bad, and he looked like he came out of a time machine from uh, 1900. All right. All right. He had a, a big handlebar mustache. He had uh, a bowler hat. Um, let's see. What else did he have? He had a Harvey Whippleman as his manager, who was essentially about five, four foot eleven, and just had like the worst lazy man beard I've ever seen in my life. Saying, hey, what's up with this? All this. You know, Tom Fullery going around here. But here's the thing. His finisher was called the Stump Puller. And it honestly looked like the type of finisher where he's just jamming on your leg like a bully would do. Like an actual schoolyard bully would do. But he lasted all of like a month. And... Uh, it's called the Charlie Horse. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Um, next up on the list. Pull my list up here. Doink the Clown! Oh, uh, yeah. All right. He's actually got two entries in this book. No, I, no, there's Dink. Oh, was that there's Dink? Dink and there's Doink. Dink was the midget dressed up as the clown. Doink, at first, was an awesome gimmick. It was it, On paper, it sounds like the stupidest thing in the world. But the thing with Doink, the, the first Doink was, he's played by Matt Bourne, who's just a journeyman wrestler who was phenomenal. He was so good. And he would... Vince McMahon pretty much said, you are going to play Pennywise from It. Yeah. And he, Matt Bourne was like, fuck yeah, I am. And he went out, they had this, this scary calliope music, and he was mean to kids, and it was awesome. And then when Matt Bourne had a, you know, another one of his, his fun little drug relapses, they, <laughs> they they put somebody else in the mask, and it just wasn't the same, because that guy just wanted to be a happy-go-lucky clown. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, poor, poor doink. Um, next up, this is, all right. Total nonstop action. TNA, we haven't even really talked so much about TNA. Right. Which is a newer company, but mm. they had plenty of shit. Uh, on their first match, the first tag team to show up were the Flying Elvis Impersonators. <laughs> they had three guys, one of which was Sonny Siaki, who was a very underutilized wrestler. He was a fan- he, he looked, he had the charisma and the build of The Rock. Ooh. He was that good, but he... Gave up the business for family reasons. Aww. But their entire gimmick was that they essentially were the Flying Elvises from uh, Honeymoon in Vegas. Wow. But they decided to call themselves the Flying Elvis Impersonators. Next up from TNA, also on the same show, the Johnsons. Another tag team. Their shtick was is that they were uh, covered head to toe in flesh-colored bodysuits. Because oh, I get it. The Johnsons. Johnsons. Oh. They were penises. Of course. Yep. All right. Um, yeah, a little less said about that, the better. Yeah. Oh, you wanted to bring this one up, Mike. Oh, yes. John Cena, who, is, you know, he uses the stick of, he is a white rapper who also wrestles. Right. He, when he first came into the uh, into the WWE, he was just another vanilla wrestler with, you know, his, his whole shtick was he would change the color of his tights every 
Huh. And, you know, oh, I'm green, now I'm blue. You know, he would do is he would make them match the, um, like, the big sports team. Like, you know, if he came to Boston, maybe they'd be green for the Celtics. But that went nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, he was kind of floundering. And they had a, they were going to have, every Halloween they have, like, a costume party uh, that they televise. And he went to one of the writers and he said, can I do Vanilla Ice? And the guy pushed for it. He's like, listen, do you know that John Cena can freestyle rap? So, like, yeah, sure, let him be Vanilla Ice, whatever. Just get him off our back. And it went, they made fun of him, but he kept the gimmick. Yo, 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 thugonomic style. Nah, nah, put down your tea parties. Get away from your John Hancock. I'm rocking his thugonomic style. Yo. Besides open mics, one thing that gets me boiled is an old school 30-man battle royal. I'ma win this. I'ma make my impression. Show Vinnie Mac that I got ruthless aggression. The odds were even until you chose me. Now it's 29 dudes and one ruthless MC. Yo, it doesn't matter, kid, because I ripped your nose off. I could batter you naked with no clothes off. Kid, what you talking about? Three reasons I'ma win this. Reason number one, I cut you up like cucumbers. Reason number two, that you can't approach this. I be choking you like Spreewell be choking coaches. Reason number three is hard for me to explain to you. But I'm going to win tonight and go on to WrestleMania. He went over like gangbusters. Well, he didn't so much go over with gang. He was a hated heel. And he wasn't very good. Let's just put it that way. John Cena's never really been that good of a wrestler. He's gotten better. But he's a very... He's a very... He's stuck in third. I think that's really, if you want to okay. put it this way, yeah, that, that's, yeah he, that's he's stuck in third gear. He can't get into fourth gear or higher. Um, but people like him. Yeah, oh, people, here, all right. Kids love him, and rightfully so. He's a very kid-friendly wrestler. Yeah. He also is a champion at Make-A-Wish. Yeah. God bless him for that. But as my cousin David put it, any adult who is seen with a John Cena t-shirt on needs to be beaten profusely. <laughs> Which kind of hurt me because I really did want to buy that John Cena uh, pro wrestling, uh, NES pro wrestling spoof shirt. Yeah. But then, you know, cooler heads prevailed. I didn't buy it and, you know, wasn't beaten mercilessly. I'll get it for you for Christmas. No, you don't have to do that. It's, uh, I don't want to get beaten. I don't want to get beaten. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole... I, I remember the last time I saw the White Rapper gimmick, he was fighting Brock Lesnar. Back when Brock Lesnar was the champ and everyone was like, John Cena wrestling for the championship? What the fuck is that? And he got beaten, like the proverbial rented mule. Yeah. And um, then he came back, and he was a he was a baby face, and yeah, yeah, all things worked out for him. Yeah, it's still working out for him. Yeah, exactly. I really, really wish they would change that fucking belt, though. I really wish they would change. They would stop making movies with him. Well, there, them. well, there's that. Uh, well, he's in all those Fred movies, which do so well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. What happened, when, by the belt, I'm referring to when John Cena won the U.S. title. Um, it was actually a kind of a cool-looking belt. It had, you know, it had the, uh, the American flag behind it, mm-hmm. and it just looked cool. John Cena got the belt and decided that, you know what it was missing? Spinning rims. Oh. So they redesigned the belt with the oh, U.S. I, flag I, behind it, that, but yeah. he could spin it. it you know, kind of like he's doing freestyle, you know, he's, he's, he, you know, he's working the, uh, the turntables. Yeah. And it was stupid. I mean, keep in mind, I watched Tully Blanchard and uh, Magnum TA pretty much jam metal spikes into each other's faces. 
for the U.S. title, and now it's got spinning rims on it. So when he got the WWE title, oh, no. they did the same thing. They made the W in the middle a spinner. Spinning, yeah. And after a while, people were like, you know, this is kind of stupid. So they kind of put a little block in it so it can't spin anymore. Um, but the belt looks ridiculous. It looks like a toy. It doesn't yeah. actually look like a championship belt. I've, I've seen things on the shelf at Target that look more realistic. Yeah. And it's, um, I think that belt is eight. No, no. The belt is seven years old now. And they haven't changed it yet, and they need to fucking do that now. It needs to start looking like a championship belt again. You need to bling it out. Oh, it looks ridiculous now. It re- yeah. And that's, the, you know, quote-unquote, the real title. Yeah. That's the one that everyone puts their stock in. That's the belt with the lineage. That's the one the Undertaker average always takes away. That's the, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, no, they were giving him the heavyweight title for a long time, too. The, the, the whore of the uh, wrestling industry, the big gold belt. No, but this belt, the belt that Cena has, is the belt that Bruno San Martino held. That same title. Uh-huh. It's the same one Hulk Hogan held. It's the same one Randy Savage held. It's the same one that Chris Jericho unified. That's the title. The big, huge, glorious one that now has a spinning rim. Well, actually, it doesn't spin anymore. Well, it still has Let's a rim. Let's be fair. It still looks stupid. Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, Jeff Jarrett, the country western star. We talked about Jeff Jarrett and how unappreciated he was because Steve Austin didn't like him. Yeah. Um, his When he came into the WWF, he was a country western singer who figured he would use the WWF as a stepping stone to his country music career. So a country singer that wrestled. Logical step, you know. Yep. You know, Cornerside Bar, professional wrestling, Grand Ole Opry. He had... Yeah. The most ridiculous looking wrestling gear ever. Essentially, it wasn't like so much suspenders, but like if you were to double up on the suspenders, so it's like these four lines and a collar, all white, all, you know, on the long pants, and it all lit up. And he had glasses that would sunglasses that would light up, and his cowboy hat would light up. All right. He was like a gigantic hillbilly Christmas tree. It sounds like it. Yep. Uh, but he was followed to the ring by the roadie. Who um, was would eventually become the Road Dog? The Roadie essentially was his road tech. Oh, but okay. the thing is, he would follow him to the ring as if he was on a headset, even though he never wore the headset, like trying to make sure that Jeff Jarrett got to the ring okay. So yes, he is a concert Roadie, Roadie technician who also wrestles. He should have you know held his hand up like he was on the phone. Like, yeah, 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 okay. Yep, exactly. <laughs> All right, next up, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yeah. Who, oh boy, oh boy. Brutus Beefcake, by the way, may be one of the worst main event wrestlers of all time. You know, if it weren't for the fact that he was best friends with Hulk Hogan, you would not know the name Brutus Beefcake. You really wouldn't. I was watching the Shawn Michaels um, documentary last night, and... They had the infamous Shawn Michaels um, heel turn against Marty Jannetty at the barbershop. Brutus Beefcake, here's what Brutus was wearing, first of all. First, you know, he had his little, he had his little bow tie on. He had um, what what is probably one of the more ridiculous mullets ever. It was like, you know, all-nighter party in the back. And kind of like a gym teacher's flat top in the front. Yeah. Um, And he also had... Yeah, kind of like that. He also had his his tights on, which have the tears and the the sheer thing. Yeah. So you know, unless he's specializing in hair cuttery for um, 
for the village people or really, really gay men, it um, is a terrible gimmick. Uh, okay, we uh, we got two more left on this list. I'm kind of surprised he's called the uh, the barber beefcase because no barbers would allow with that kind of hairstyle. No, exactly. I would not. You know, honestly, would you get a haircut from a person who looked like that? No. Exactly. No. All right, and last up on the list, not only one of the greatest gimmicks of all time, I think one of the best, if not the best, heel of all time, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Wealth is what it's all about, Oakland. It's the bottom line. And my wealth runs deeper than just dollars. Because I'm rich in ring prowess, flush with technical skill, and extremely well-off when it comes to wrestling ability. Well, you may indeed be a great wrestler, Ted DiBiase, but I can't help but think tonight you're up to something. <laughs> it's not what I'm up to, Oakland. It's what it all comes down to. And what it all comes down to is this. Money isn't everything. It's the only thing. And everyone, everyone has a price for the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> All right, let's go over to Sean Mooney. He's a multimillionaire who also wrestles. Yeah, he he had class to him. Oh, my God. He, he had the proverbial class coming out of his ass. Yeah. He, and he used it against everybody. Oh, man. Because everybody could be bought. Yeah. And he came out, he had a swagger about him. Awesome in the ring. And also, I think, the greatest wrestler to never carry a world title. Ever. Never? Never. Wow. He was originally going to walk out of WrestleMania four as the, as the champion. But, uh, due to some foolishness on Honky Tonk Man's part for holding up... He was going to hold up the, the Intercontinental title and go to uh, NWA and dump it in the trash there. So they're like, okay, fine. Honky, you get to keep the IC title. Uh, Savage gets the, the, the world title. Oh. Yeah, so it doesn't help not being Hulk Hogan's friend. Yeah. But seriously, awesome gimmick. He just, every promo was great. He would do all those great heelish things like, you know, I'll, I'll give you $1,000, kid, if you could bounce this basketball ten times. And the kid would get to nine and he'd stick his foot in the way. He, oh God. They actually had him come back at WrestleMania, I think it was 22, where they had just had, they had a camera going by and he had Eugene, who essentially was a wrestling simpleton. Mm-hmm. And they had him like one, two, three, four, <laughs> five. It was great. I love it because not only was he a heel in his own matches, but he would also be a heel... Like a kind of a working behind the scenes of other people's matches. Oh, well, he was the one who orchestrated Andre to win the title. Exactly, yeah. So he could buy it off of him. So that was, I mean, that's that's exactly what a heel does. A heel, yeah. You know, a heel like that buys the ti- the championship. And when you can't get the championship, what do you do? You have what you pay for one and have it made. Yeah. The million dollar belt, which really was kind of hideous. Yeah. It was pretty Not awful. a good looker. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I think pretty decent little conversation yeah. about that. Let's move on to some segments. Uh, we're going to start off with... Stupid! Stupid! And uh, we're going to talk about the new CW show, Arrow. There's a new CW show? Yes. I haven't seen anything about it. Huh. Okay, well, you know you know how like no one went to go see The Avengers this summer? And nobody went to go see uh, The Dark Knight Rises? And no one went to go see The Amazing Spider-Man? Um, actually, none of those are true. Exactly. But DC thinks that they did. <laughs> Because they have decided that their Green Arrow television show isn't about a superhero. 
It's about a hero named Oliver Queen, who in DC lore plays the Green Arrow. Yep. But it's not the Green Arrow, it's just plain Arrow. And even in Smallville, he played the Green Arrow. Exactly. Well, this isn't the same character. Yeah, I know. But um, it's just a yet another uh, of me scratching my head and what... And, and almost wondering why we are putting so much thought into what what DC is doing wrong about JLA. What DC is doing wrong about a lot of their Everything, stuff. exactly. Why, why do we want to see a JLA that comes from this company at this point? I don't know. You know, it's like, okay, you don't know how to handle even your most basic characters. I think it's time to move on. Uh, I'm still waiting to see how Man of Steel works out. That's going to be interesting. Um... The trailer isn't much, so we're not really going to go over that. We'll wait till the better trailer. But what did you think of the trailer? Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't give you a whole lot. Essentially, it's the same thing as um, John Ford's bit in um, Superman the Motion Picture. Yeah. It really is. They yeah. are just, they're going back to formula again. And, you know, well, you know, son... With great power comes great responsibility. That's Spider-Man. I don't care, son. Get out there and let me die of my heart attack now. <laughs> hey, Dad. If you build it, they will come. Shut up. <laughs> I just walk into the room with Costner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So we're actually going to introduce a new segment. This is going to be kind of a every once in a while segment. Yeah. Not part of our regular thing. Um... We welcome you to... Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a... Geek Salad Movie Review. We are going to be talking about The Dark Knight yeah. Rises. And I think at this point, it's been out for over three weeks, I think we should be spoiler free. Well, we're not going to be. We're not going to be spoiler free, free but, but we're assuming that there aren't going to be any surprises from anybody listening. Right? Yeah. If you have, if you haven't already seen it, you're probably not going to go see it. Exactly. If you want to go see, if you haven't seen it yet, skip ahead about five minutes. Yeah. All right. Um. All right. What'd you think? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, yep, I thought I, it was a very fitting ending. I dare say I loved it. Yeah. But. <laughs> but 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 there but, is a but. but yes. I don't want to see a, a follow-up to that movie. No, no. I don't care if Chris Nolan directs it or not. I do not want to see a Robin John Drake Batman movie. No, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I I, I, I admire him as an actor. And I, I thought he, he was very oh, good he was in fantastic. this. fantastic. He was very good in this. He I is mean, not Batman. No, he no. is not Batman. You do not want to see a follow-up to that. Honestly, I could see him as a Nightwing. I don't even know if I want... Well, the first... I don't even want to see a Nightwing. I really don't want to see a Nightwing. I, I just want to stick with Batman in a dark, gritty, you know, oily Gotham City. Yeah. All right. But here's what we loved. Well, first of all, I, I do want to thank Christian Bale for toning down the background a little bit. Well, because... Because there wasn't a whole lot of Batman growl in the movie. No, there wasn't. Batman appeared in, I think, maybe ten minutes of the movie. Something like that, yeah. It's a two, the movie runs two hours and 44 minutes. It is a long fucking movie. Yeah. Um, but yes, Batman is barely in the movie. Um, which, you know, 
It's fine. The movie, these movies have never really been about Batman. No, it's been more around Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne or the villains. Yeah. Um, I thought Tom Hardy had the unenviable task of having to follow up Heath Ledger, and I think he did a good job. He did a good job. He didn't try to emulate the same type of intensity that Heath Ledger had. He had his own thing going on. I thought it worked really well. I could not understand him in that first scene, though. You know what? It was that first... After the first sentence, my ears adjusted to it. After the first scene, my ears adjusted okay. to it. I have no idea what the hell he said in that first scene. I was honestly expecting it to be a lot worse because I heard everybody say, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand what you're saying. I thought it was okay, actually. It didn't sound that muffled. No, I mean, afterward, afterwards, it was fine. It's just... With, with like, the background plane noise going on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I yeah. do like, though, someone that compared his, his the, the, the timbre of his voice to Goldfinger. Mr. Wayne! I thought I it was... I see that. I thought he was very good. Yeah. Um, I think they did a great job translating that character into something that fit the Nolan universe. Right, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed him a lot. The, my, um, my main problem with his character... Came at the end. Um. Oh, when when he gets shot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He he had this big bust out, dragged out fight with Batman. He gets beaten, you know. And then when they reveal that the you know Italia. big spoiler that Talia Al Ghul is actually around. Oh. And, yeah, go ahead. And um, that Bane is not the mastermind. What happens? He gets blown away with a cannon, and you never see him again. Really kind of anticlimactic ending for him. I'm assuming he, he died. <laughs> I was, well, you know. Yeah, it, it wasn't. A cannon a, that can take out a, like, a bat tank in ex- one year. Exactly. It, yeah, exactly. It wasn't exactly that, you know, dropping the villain off off the plane into the uh, into the Washington Monument to yeah. be impaled. It's nothing like that. Um, it's like, you know, they, they, they finish up his story, and they were just looking for a way to get rid of him real quick. Right. Then there was Anne Hathaway as Catwoman, who I, stole the fucking oh, show. Such a oh wow she she took it yeah yo she, she definitely she didn't have she, the beauty was she didn't need to emulate uh, Michelle Pfeiffer she didn't need to emulate any of the three women in the Batman TV series she and, was herself yeah. she, it, she th- this wasn't I mean it would be very tempting to like take the Catwoman from say like Hush. Mm. And use that character, but instead she was definitely her very own creation. And I love it because like she, they didn't really make her a sympathetic character, but they made her a very likable character. Exactly. Well, she didn't have to have. I mean, horrible things didn't really happen to her at no. any point. And that's the thing is that that's what makes your villain sympathetic is when something awful happens to them, like they get turned on or something. Right. She has a conscience. She kind of got turned on by Bane, but... But it wasn't really... She didn't yeah. really get turned on by Bane. But, I mean, the whole point of... whole story behind her redemption was that, you know, Bruce Wayne knew that there was something more to her. Yep. Exactly. And now they're, they're probably off having rough sex in Paris somewhere. Hey, good for him. Hey, good. Bravo, sir. <laughs> um, I loved it. Oh, yeah. I really... I mean, again, that's just... That's a no-brainer for Blu-ray. Definitely. Uh, in fact, you know, they might actually come out with a three-pack. I don't own any of them on Blu-ray, so the three-pack might be under my Christmas tree this year. I've got them all, so. Yeah, I, I, have, the, I have the DVDs of the first two. I didn't have a Blu-ray player when the other yeah, two I, came out, so. Actually, my very first Blu-ray 
was uh, Dark Knight. Oh, nice, nice. Because I got my uh, my father got me the PlayStation Three, yep. and it came with the Dark Knight. Nice. I'm only a month away till the Avengers comes out on Blu-ray. Yeah. All right, so let's um, move on to Trailer Park, where we're going to be talking about the brand spanking new trailer for James Bond 007 Skyfall. It's gone. You both know what's at stake here. There isn't much road left. Take the bloody shot. What do you say about a man like that? Three months ago, you lost the drive containing the identity of every agent embedded in terrorist organizations across the globe. 007 reporting for duty. Where the hell have you been? Enjoying death. I only have one question. Why not stay dead? There's no shame in saying you've lost a step. I cannot wait for this movie. Oh my god. First of all, is it not awesome that Javier Bardem is playing a Bond villain? Yeah. It's almost like um, Anton Shurga from No Country for Old Men was a Bond villain, and they're just like, oh, I see the error of our ways now. <laughs> Have him fight Bond. It's, I mean, he's, he's just... He's just, you know, he's a bastard in it. He is. He, he looks like a bastard yeah. in it. Yeah. But Daniel Craig oh. looks... It, the beauty of Daniel Craig is is that you never get the look on his face like he's just game for what, everything that's going on. He kind of looks pissed off, but he looked pissed off in Casino Royale. But it works for him. Heck, he looked pissed off when he was going to the Queen during yeah, exactly. the uh, oh, Olympics yeah. opening ceremonies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I love the fact that they're finally bringing in Q. Yeah. Which should be fun. Uh, there's talk, um, you know, I don't know anything, so don't take me my word for this, that... They might be killing off Judy Dench's M, and Ray Fiennes might be replacing her. That would be interesting. Because well, they've never actually killed off a character that big before. No, they'd never killed off a character that big before. Closest thing they ever came was the... Like, oh, he, Felix Leiter getting yeah. eaten by an alligator? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's about the closest they've ever gotten. Yeah, exactly. But um, I think it will work, especially for just the longevity of the series, because... There, that M Judy Dench's M has been the tie that binds the bonds together, right? Yeah. Since Pierce Brosnan, since Goldeneye. So yeah, exactly. And if they have, if she's decided that she's going to retire, or I think she's losing, I heard something about she's going deaf or blind or something like that. Ooh. She might need that time off. So yeah. killing her character and getting someone else in as M. Like Ray Fiennes, who is young, yeah, and can carry a few more of these, especially if Daniel Craig just decides that you know he doesn't want to do this anymore, and they bring in somebody else awesome like Benedict Cumberpatch. He would make he would make it pretty interesting. You know what? I'm still holding out hope for Clive Owen. I just I think that ship has sailed at this point. Yeah, Clive Owen would make an awesome Bond. I don't know. Cumberpatch just seems he he would be more more of an intellectual than an action Bond. He was more of a Roger Moore. Than Sean Connery. It depends. It depends on how they decide to play him. It, yeah. Because this whole this whole thing, this whole new Bond is all about, you know, I have a license to kill him. God damn it, I'm going to use it. 
So, yes, it comes out in November. Um, rest assured, we will be doing a Bond podcast. Yes. Because uh, not only is it a new Bond movie, it's a 50th anniversary. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm already, and thank you, Mike, for doing this. Uh, Mike's been loaning me the Bond DVDs. Yeah. I've already gotten through five of them, so I need to get through more. I'm, go- I'm probably going to be uh, catching up as well. Very nice. Yeah, it's a good idea. It's been a it's while idea. since I've watched a lot of the Roger Moore ones. Yes, cause... and I, I do enjoy watching Sean Connery beat up on women and use them as human shields. Sure, why not? Hey, why not? Hey, this is the 60s. Who cares? <laughs> well, it would just seem unreasonable if I didn't smack you in the face right now and rape you. So anyway, your let's name, move... Your name is Pussy Galore, after all. <laughs> let's move on to Salad Shills. Um, Mike C. didn't want me to bring up one that he just wants to talk about. Um, and I'm going to talk about it as briefly as humanly possible. That they are finally releasing Force 5 on DVD. Not Gatchaman, but the Americanized Force 5. Okay. All right. Good for um, you. Yay. All right, cool. Um, I'm going to bring up a book I read over vacation, which I thought was just a hoot. Um, Rob Reed's Year Zero, which is about um, this plot by these aliens to destroy the world. And the, 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 the alien brother and sister who come to Earth and enlist the, uh, the help of a lawyer named Nick Carter. Not the Backstreet Boy, but another Nick Carter. Oh, good. They, they enlist his help to help them stop a lot. The reason why they want to destroy the Earth, Mike, is because the, all the aliens of the galaxies in 1977 discovered Earth music because they heard the theme that Welcome Back Carter. And they fell in love with Earth's music to the point where they started downloading it and downloading it and downloading it and have amassed an obscene debt to the, recording, yeah, to the recording industry. And that's why they want to blow up the Earth. It is just, it's, I, I, I dare say, it could be the American Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ooh. I understand that's bold talk, but it re, it really does read like Hitchhiker's Guide. Nice. I'm the first one, one, none out. of those, yeah, none of those sequels. Definitely check out the library, man. Yeah. That's where you go. What do you got? All right, I got a couple of shows here. One, uh, I, a, couple, uh, a few days ago, actually, I went and saw Born Legacy. And how was it? I enjoyed it a lot, but it kind of felt like an origin movie. Okay. Which is weird because it's the fourth one of the series. Yeah. But well, I mean, it is a new actor. Yeah. And they're not not—they're not just saying that, well, you know, he used to look like Matt Damon. Now he looks like Jeremy Renner. It's a completely different human being. Right, yeah. Um, so it kind of felt like almost half a story, but... And they definitely set it up for a sequel, which I'm really hoping they do because... I have a feeling when they get to a sequel, they're going to completely blow it out of the water. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. The Bourne Supremacy is actually a better movie than The Bourne Identity. Yeah. Because they had to establish all that stuff. And the, I thought The Bourne Ultimatum was even better than The that. Bourne Ultimatum is the best movie in that series. Yeah. I haven't seen The Bourne Legacy yet, but I've I've heard very good things. My mom and her husband went to go see it, so I'm looking forward to it. I enjoyed it, yeah. What else you got? Well, I just got my uh, new uh, my new favorite webcomic. Yep. It's called girlpoweredcomic.com. It's G-R-R-L okay. comic. Uh, girlpowercomic.com. It's basically about a uh, kind of a, a woman, a younger, uh, young woman. She co-owns a comic book store. Uh-huh. She's a comic book nerd. She's got a fondness for obscenely spicy food. <laughs> and she's got a very short temper. But she has these these objects. I'm not going to spoil anything. But she's got these objects that give her special powers. Oh, nice. And she kind of hooks up with uh, this other group of quasi-government 
a sponsored government um, superpowered heroes. Okay. And but you know they're all like you know the stereotypical you know very very attractive very buxom. <laughs> of and course, she, she is kind of short and squat and dumpy. Un, yeah, un, no, underdeveloped. Oh, okay. And but it, it's. It's only one. It's only one a week. All right. Um, but it's like fully colored, fully drawn. It looks gorgeous, and they're up to about a little over a hundred so far. Nice. So it's you know it's very easy to catch up, and I highly recommend it. I enjoy it a lot. Well, it's good for your smartphone or a tablet, then, yeah, right? It is. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, there is one thing we have to show. Happy birthday, Geek Salad! It's your fourth birthday. Yes, it is. Uh, August twelfth, two thousand eight, was uh, the first time that uh, Mike C and I saddled up. To the desk with the microphone and um, started recording our first show. We are now 72 episodes in. And we are considerably uh, more advanced than then back then. Oh my, well, yes, we are way more advanced now with better equipment. We sound better. Yeah. Uh, we started drinking during the shows, which always helps. <laughs> um, and it, it, you know, it is a little sad that, you know... In the past year, we've grown the we, we've kind of grown our in studio family. Yeah, you know, with Jim and Adam coming in and Mike coming back. Yeah, you know, um, I, I really think you know. In I think the way it's this is going to end up being, we're kind of like the defenders. You know, where like Mike and I are the core two, but we will all you know almost always have somebody else of those other three. Yeah, here to help us. You our, know, you know, our backup. Exactly. You know, our our Hellcat and Damian Hellstrom. Why don't you choose the ones that aren't dead? Oh, quiet you! All right, <laughs> but I mean, what, all right. Last the, in the last year, what what what's your favorite geek salad memory? Oh, favorite episode. You know what? The one episode that sticks out most for me was our uh, video game episode. Where oh. we spent pretty much the entire time watching Adam play his NES. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. For me, it's tough to say which my favorite episode is. I mean, every episode is like my child, right? And you, you can't pick between your children. However, if I did have to pick between them, I'd have to say I'd pick the white one. <laughs> um, no, it, you know, all, all joking aside, I honestly think our time travel episode may oh, very well be the annals of one of our best episodes ever. Because mm. it was the four of us. I think Adam and Jeff. It was Adam's first show, I think. Uh, very possible, yeah. yeah. Between that, and I went back and I listened to our Simpsons two-parter. I, and I, was, I, I just had so much fun listening to oh, that. I was just laughing my ass off listening to that one again. So yeah, it's you know we're we're gearing up. We're you know another year away from episode uh, from our fifth year mm-hmm. and our hundredth episode, which will probably be beyond our fifth year. But uh, it's gonna be tight. There. It's gonna be tight. It ain't happening. Let's just let's not let's not promise anything unless unless we decide to bang out individual episodes where we're just talking at a microphone. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, and we want to thank you, the uh, the Geek Salad family, who's always been there for us. Yeah. Even though sometimes you have to prompt you. Uh, <laughs> and I'm really happy that we, we, we've grown our family in the last year. So, you know, here's here's to another four years. Yeah, thank All you right. very much. Here, hopefully for another 72 episodes. Oh, that'd be very nice. All right, but you know what? Forget about the next 72 episodes. Let's talk about episode 73. Let's do that. All right, our next show, we are going to be talking... We're going to be do, we're going to be taking uh, Jim's wife Rebecca's um, suggestion because we didn't have the foresight to do this two years ago. We're gonna we're gonna do a retrospecticus on um, 1980. Retrospecticus or retrospecticon? Oh, retrospecticon. Oh. 
of the movies of 1980. Yes. The hits and the misses. Yeah, you know, the last flashes of 1979. Yep, so uh, fire up your IMDb and give us your suggestions for what you loved, what you hated, what you have a soft spot for that nobody else can understand. And oh, email I, I us. I know we got tons of those. Oh, tons, yeah. And you can email us at geeksalad at yahoo.com. You can get to us on our Facebook page, uh, Facebook page, Geek Salad, so definitely get those likes out there. We've definitely increased our likes recently. Yeah. So let's uh, hope that continues. Hey, a big shout out to uh, my my good friend Aisha. Hey, Aisha. She, uh, Mistress Ishbo. Oh, is that her? Yeah. Oh, does she work over at Hannaford's? Yeah, she does. Oh my God, because I gave her a business card saying that, uh, here's a podcast. We were talking about superheroes. And um, I was wearing my Spider-Man shirt. She's like, I love your shirt. I was like, well, I love your headband. <laughs> And then I was like, Here, here's a card. We, we host a podcast. I didn't know that was your friend. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. She used to work at a circuit city with me. Awesome. Actually, both she and her husband. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, that is really cool. So, uh, welcome aboard, guys. Huzzah! Yeah. Um, so, definitely like our Facebook page. And also, give us a follow on Twitter at Geek Salad Radio. Because we're always there. You can also check out our archive and all our other fun stuff at www.geeksalad.com. Dot podbean.com. So until next time, I'm Andy. I'm Mike. Go forth and be nerdful. We'll talk to you soon. I'm just a honky tonk man. I'm just a honky tonk man. I'm just a honky tonk man. I'm cool. I'm cocky. I'm bad. I'm just a honky tonk man. I'm cool. I'm cocky. I'm Virgil, have you ever seen a more gorgeous specimen in all your life?